Welcome. You're listening to Building the Backend, a podcast for data architects, where we will uncover what's working and what's not across the data landscape. I'm your host, Travis Lawrence. Join me on a journey to understand the best patterns, tools, and frameworks for implementing modern data architectures. Each week, I'll interview data leaders and architects like the Vice President of Engineering at LinkedIn or the founder of Data Kitchen and employees at Microsoft and Google and many other top companies. To start off the new year, I have put together a quick 60-second survey to help me better understand how I can best serve you. Go to buildingthebackend.com slash survey to complete it. And if you do, your next coffee is on me, aka I will email you a Starbucks gift card. If you're hearing this message, then the survey is still live, so act fast and help me improve the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, Data Nation, I'm really looking forward to this next conversation where we have Paul Singman, a developer advocate at LakeFS, where we will be talking all about the modern data architecture. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Very excited to be here. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit more about your previous experience at LakeFS and your role there? Of course. Hey, my name is Paul. I'm a developer advocate for the LakeFest project. Before that, I was a data engineer for Equinox Fitness in New York City. While there, I worked on a number of projects, uh, including recommender systems for workout content, member recognition, API, uh, among some other uh, initiatives. We had uh, a very do-it-yourself approach to building to our data platform with like homegrown versions of, of popular technologies like dbt and great expectations and so anyways now i use that technical experience at LakeFS, help people understand how to use it and engage the community around it it's a open source git for data lakes technology and what is i can you elaborate on kind of that technology and LakeFS and the role it plays of course so LakeFS is designed to improve the experience around using object stores for analytics. The most common one being S3. It's really great for storing data, though it's not necessarily optimized for the complex workflows by data teams. So at the moment, too much of that complexity, I think, is reflected in the code or the queries that's interacting with the data. and <clears throat> What LakeFS aims to do is add additional functionality to the object store to make it a better overall experience. Specifically, we let you create repositories of data that, and then expose Git-like operations you can perform, like committing, branching, merging, et cetera, to do that. This simplifies data workflows and makes it, makes it feel much more nimble in working with data in this way. So I guess, what would be a use case of when you talk about Git, like Git, like version controlling the actual object themselves. That is correct. Yes. So historically, when I've worked with S3 and other object stores, obviously we're version controlling all of the data to move data in and out. Um, but the data itself, we haven't had the use case or I haven't had the use case to version control that itself. But it sounds like within machine learning, um, there are applicable use cases and maybe other. And is the data actually, can you view... What, what type of files can you version control and how does that look within Git? Yeah, so it's FS is a pretty generic versioning engine in, in some sense, and it is very agnostic about the type of 
objects or data that is being versioned. If you're trying to reproduce an ML experiment, you can create a commit and you know, let's say in a comment, leave the, the commit that corresponds to the data set it was trained on. And in a very simple way, just point to that commit ID that's generated uh, when reading in the data and you have the, it could be a huge data set, but you know exactly what state it was in when the experiment was run. One, one other use case that we see this Git functionality used for when, when doing development, there's no consensus on whether to take like a small subset of your data and test no. it on or yeah. maintain a full replica of your production data. And with the ability to branch a data set, it, it instantly gives you a non-duplicated clone or copy of your data set that you can test and experiment on. Maybe most commonly people are copying their data sets to like a personal schema or something like that. And we like to recommend that the first thing what you do when testing a change is to create a branch and work over that isolated branch of your data. Cool. That makes sense. And one of the reasons I found about you is through a talk you did at a Presto DB conference talking about kind of deploying that locally. For those who aren't familiar with Presto, can you explain the main use cases of that? Mm-hmm. So PrestoDB is a distributed query engine that can provide federated act to a number of a wide variety of data sources. I'd say it's optimized to maximize the speed of a query. So for things like transforming data or even just moving it to a different location within a system, it excels at those workloads. This can be useful for calculating features for an ML model or metrics for a BI dashboard. Having the, the Presto engine available to to crunch the numbers in that way is a nice option. And so Presto allows you to query against relational and non-relational data sources at the same time? Yes, that is that is a very publicly advertised feature of it. To be honest, personally, I have not used it in that way. Almost, I'm almost curious to, to test it out after from this conversation, but I, I've, I've always used it uh, more for data singularly in an object store as right. opposed to trying the, some of it's in, in Postgres and some of it's in an object store or something like that. Yep. And then that's one of the terms that I feel like is kind of popping back up in the past couple of years is around virtualization. Um, obviously that term has been around for quite a bit, but I think there are some new technologies behind that can support that kind of like Presto and other SQL engine. Where do you see virtualization fitting in into kind of the modern data architecture. Yeah, essentially the reality inside every company is there's a large number of systems that are producing data that is ripe for analysis. And typically we take the pattern in many ways without thinking of extracting and loading it into a centralized data lake or warehouse of some sort. And there are tools like Fivetran and Airbyte and others that are doing good jobs of standardizing that process and making it much easier, but it still adds a fair amount of complexity into the analytics process because mm -hmm. you have to keep in mind how often this data is being synced and whether the last sync was effective and stuff like that. So virtualization is the ability to query data where it is without the need to extract and move it. I think that we will find we will find good use cases to make use of this concept. 
something like I mentioned before, like joining maybe a more real-time Postgres system with a historical backlog in, in an object store. And that uh, lets you, again, avoid extracting and loading it and simplifies this the analysis of, of this data. But I would say I don't expect any sort of utopia to emerge where like data never moves and where always querying it uh, as it is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's just kind of goes back to what's the use case and I'm sure there are applicable ones, but I agree with you there. What's the biggest hurdle have you seen in your experience with organizations face when building out a data lake? Yeah, data lake is just to address the term first briefly. It's a term that someone invented and it's obviously caught on, become very popular. As far as I understand, it effectively refers to storing data in an object. I think it's it just helps people like crystallize exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Think about it in that way. It's an extremely flexible way to store data as the na- name suggests in objects. It supports basically any file format and can handle structured and unstructured data. And this flexibility means that there are a wide variety of use cases that you can do with data in an object store. And to get back to your question of the challenges companies face, I think this is both a strength and a weakness. Essentially, there's so many potential applications for the data and number of ways of doing these things that there's a great deal of fragmentation in the tooling and and roughness in the integrations between them that the developer experience can suffer as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I see you have like larger teams with, with more resources and the ability to maintain like a bespoke data platform that abstracts away the abstracts away these tools as much as possible and handles the the infrastructure and and ops around them. And you also have smaller teams that maybe try to replicate this, but end up getting slowed down by their developers struggling to to figure out what's happening with the system because the UI isn't great or it doesn't have an integration with this tool or they have some process that they wrote that does something once a day and, and it hasn't run in a week and I haven't noticed. It's hard to it's hard to learn from other companies because everyone's doing it their own way. Mm-hmm. And it's a the challenge I see generally with like data lake space at the moment. And this might lead to some later questions, but I think there will be greater consolidation at some point. So let's explore that. What do you mean by more consolidation. Yeah, so consolidation in terms of the toolings used to to do certain things and the patterns of how to do it. I do compare it to what I view as sort of consolidation in the BI analytics space where there became a clear set of tools that sort of became pretty popular amongst certain types of companies. They call themselves the modern data stack. And it was like Fivetran, DBT, Snowflake, and some BI tool. And there was a good amount of community that that grew around this and they were able to share code and and lessons of, of how to do certain things. And I think outside of this, when it comes to machine learning or more API development, 
like data intensive APIs, there's still, you're still using like cloud services or in the ML side of things, there's a bunch of tools competing to help you manage model development. And um, uh, it's hard to predict when things will happen, but I think at some point consolidation will occur where absolutely there's more of a clear winner of tools and the community around one develops where there's really helpful like stack overflow questions and maybe more of a prescribed, this is like the beginner set of them to, to do certain specific use cases is more clear. No, I completely agree. Kind of as the data landscape matures, some will rise up and some will fall off. With the emergence of the lake house, the capabilities there with being able to do crude operations within quote unquote, the data lake, do you think that, what are your thoughts between the data warehouse traditionally kind of more of the data lake? Yeah, this is, this is a very fascinating development. And I certainly support it. It's definitely a part of this trend of consolidation. I definitely support, I look for areas where things become more developer friendly and the necessities of technology are smartly abstracted away so that you can focus on what you're trying to do and not query optimizations. It's more handled behind the scenes. The more that we can think less about how our data is stored and I need this technology to do this for this specific use case. I think that is, it's tempting to happen, although it's not, it's not guaranteed. I don't know if it's worth it to make a prediction of what I think maybe more of a data lakes sort of replacing a lot of what data warehouses are used for or data warehouses encroaching on the big data lake players, but they're certainly converging. And there's a lot of funding behind them. So I, it's hard to bet against that they will offer solutions that cover a lot of use cases and make the lives of people working with data easier than they are today. Absolutely. Certainly not easy when you have so many different patterns, um, producing kind of data quality and governance issues all over the place. For organizations that have been successful with data warehouses or data lakes, what do you think really contributes to that success? That's a good question. I think that to some extent, it depends on what they're using their data lakes and data warehouses for. I I don't like it when people aren't so upfront about this data warehouse is supporting dashboards that update once a day and it's much simpler to deal with and, and it's all internal facing it's much simpler to deal with an issue than something that's a consumer facing api that the app will break if or will show like weird data if it's wrong so there's much different levels of data quality testing that are required and methods of, of fixing issues in that way. So getting to that side of things, having observability and testing of your data quality are things that are important to do and important to make it as easy as possible. I, I, I remember at times in my career where I had to sign into a VPN and get a code on my phone and then 
go to some website, log in and run some scripts and then maybe figure out if everything's okay. Or we've had more like monitoring and dashboard set up where I could open one website or click a button and get like a nice overview of these 20 tasks that ran and get a good sense if things are working or not. That was more of our like homegrown solution. There are tools that you can pay for now to to implement this sort of thing, probably better than what we had, but you certainly need to feel like you have a sense of the health of your um, data. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that a lot of organizations don't put a lot of weight in when they're building out these data pipelines is the data quality and the data observability component. And from a data observability component, what, what metrics or KPIs should folks be looking for to ensure the data is what they expect? Yeah, so one of, one of the important ones, which is more of like a meta one, is I always appreciated the ability to look into the history of a job or task itself. This job has run a hundred times successfully and there's one failure or it has intermittently worked for the past month and the easier you can surface this information um the it is it's it's important for understanding if things are are working or not for data quality there's basic checks that tools are increasingly making it easier to set up like uniqueness and not duplicates and not being null and importantly the ability to set up custom logic often that this value is greater than x or if i join these two things there isn't duplicates for example so basically those basic checks are are important and then you can get carried away with setting up too much like business logic specifics but for something important that is going to be consumer facing or your CEO looks at every day. I think it is worth it to set up those custom SQL checks at the risk of getting too many false alarms. If you try to make it too sensitive, but. Right. Yep. And for me, I know there are some tools now that are merging kind of the data quality and the data catalog and kind of the lineage all together. Do you think that is the market is moving more towards that where your data catalog should have kind of the insights around the data quality of the assets and show that lineage throughout the pipeline? Yeah, I, I, I like the idea a lot. I, I can reflect on a number of times where I was responding to a data issue and we're on a larger data team of 30 people And it's not necessarily something that I specifically touched last. And I'm trying to figure out like what happened here? Why was this change made? Do we need it? And similar to what I was saying about like the data quality observability, like the faster you can surface information to people to understand who to contact internally, you know, what this job depends on, who I can contact if it's someone else owns it. These are all things that... Uh, do contribute to the effectiveness of a data team and making things, you can fix them maybe more in minutes as opposed to hours or even days. I, I don't have exact, I don't have direct experience with the latest tools that are trying to solve this problem in the lineage and observability and category space, but I recognize that there's, for probably most people working on data teams, there's a lot we can do to make their lives easier. And ultimately this lets them be more productive and do more and take on more exciting projects. So I am excited by it and fully support it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 
I feel, I feel like a lot of data teams are more reactive to data issues when they should be more proactive, which you can do with kind of these data observability and checks built in. What's been your biggest failure in the data space? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways I could answer this question. I, I think I'll go with a more uh, <laughs> noble sounding one. Give us the juicy stuff. So yeah, if you want like a more specific one, I'll just say that, yeah, we had a, like web scraping project that was trying to collect data from 10 different websites. And I, I wanted to, it was like a mess to maintain. I, God bless people that like really work on like complex data scraping projects, but just Dealing, reacting to website changes is um, a difficult problem to make, not a pain. But what, what I do want to say is failure in the data space. It is a personal goal of mine to make people feel confident building their own personal modern data stack. And I think a lot of data work is being done in a corporate setting on corporate data. And I want people to feel more empowered to, you know, I'm interested in this sports data or this finance data or Reddit comments and set up the infrastructure that people are doing at work, but doing it for their own personal projects. So this is something that I've been thinking about for a while, starting to implement. And I hope to create good content and inspire people and teach people to, to do this. That's great. So do you have a personal kind of project where you're implementing this today? I spent half my weekend on it this past weekend. And yeah, I've tried a couple of different things out, a couple of different data sets, different sources. I'm going with cryptocurrency data. Ooh, ooh and... we should talk. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's, and I, I hope to, it's supposed to be something simple that doesn't get lost in the like specifics of the data too much. But ultimately something like alerting when prices change about a certain amount, I think is a good combination of ingesting data in real time and reacting to it, but also having to store this historical data. And I think it's a good, hopefully, example that people, we can cover a lot of core concepts around data that are important, that a lot of current examples either use like these static sort of non-realistic data sets, or they're only responding to data in real time. And so I'm trying to get a good example that gives you both. Yeah, no, that's great. I love how, yeah, I totally agree kind of creating a side project to just explore some of these newer patterns and technologies that you may not get to do in your nine to five job. Um, where do you see data architectures hitting over the next two to five years from now? Yeah, so we spoke about the consolidation, which is... I think an important piece of there's just, there's so much funding and so many different companies. And I think there will be more of a sense of winners and losers to some extent amongst the current competing technologies out there. Are there any technologies today one may call an underdog or maybe aren't as well known that you see or think should be gaining traction in the near future? Yeah, so it's even someone like me who has the luxury of a great percentage of my time is available to exploring these different technologies. It's very hard to keep track on the specifics of each oh, yeah. one and, and try them out. I'm intrigued by like Apache Arrow and I think Vol Voltron Data, which is aiming to improve, make more efficient, like transferring data between different systems. The table formats like Iceberg and Delta and Hoodie are 
pretty popular at this point, at mm -hmm. least particularly among the data lake community, but they're the first step of what I was talking about earlier of making data lake, let's say more like data warehouses and more user-friendly in that sense. I view data versioning tools like FS as another step in that direction of increasing the usability of data lakes that as object store and data lake adoption continues to increase are important necessities there. I, I And I'll say also in a general point, yeah, managed services are, are very important. I guess it's a common pattern you already see, like even things that are open source technologies are pretty quickly developing a managed solution. But yeah, so I think the the operations around connecting different managed solutions, that's pretty bespoke, but maybe we'll get better. There'll be a more common way to do that. Completely agree. A shameless plug recently did a podcast episode on Apache Arrow for those that want to check that out. What is next for Lake FS? So we're working on a couple big initiatives. One is not surprisingly a managed service that will handle the monitoring and the installation of the technology. You don't have to install it yourself. And another is creating a next generation meta store that is more version aware or friendly. It's cool when you can create different branches of your data lake and experiment on the different ones. But if the tools that are also consuming this data aren't so version aware, it uh, diminishes the value you get from it. So Hive is, Hive's Metastore is still the most popular Metastore. It's pretty outdated as like a relic from the Hadoop era. So our amazing engineering team is starting to build the next generation one that is more version friendly and we'll update some of the archaic aspects of Hive. Awesome. Very exciting. Do you have a favorite data book or resource that you would recommend to the listeners? Yeah, I have been, I, I like ternary data's Monday morning data chat. Yep. If you're seeing them on YouTube oh, yeah. or wherever else they, uh, they publish it to, uh, I think they have nice casual discussions on different data topics. Sometimes there's guests, they have informed opinions. They're not afraid to keep it real and, and give their true opinion. It's not just all fluff pieces. Uh, and they, I think they have good production value. So I would check them out. I watch them on YouTube. I like them. Yeah, no, that's a great resource. Yeah, I follow Joe on LinkedIn and see them there pop up. But yeah, absolutely. If listeners want to connect with you afterwards or learn more about LakeFS, where should they go? So I'm on Twitter at Data Wisp, W-H-I-S-P. Paul Singman on LinkedIn, you should find me. And if you want to join the LakeFS Slack community and say hi to me there, that uh, would be great as well. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Paul, for coming on the show and sharing all these valuable insights. Thank you so much, Travis. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Building the Backend. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. If you want to receive the latest data news in your inbox, join the newsletter at buildingthebackend.com. See you next time, Data Nation.